It was strange to not be here last week. Lisa and I missed you all. Uh, We were on vacation. Uh, We went to Georgia to Lisa's grandparents' home for um, several days, and then we spent a few days in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, uh, before coming back. And I was saying to uh, Jim Haynes this morning, you know, there's something special about vacation for nine days to be able to go to sleep and wake up not to an alarm is just an incredible blessing, an incredible gift. There's something just relaxing about vacation. Lisa kept talking about vacation Clayton being different than non-vacation Clayton. I didn't really shave. I didn't get up super early. Um, I didn't. Uh, uh, I found that I did not get stressed or frustrated by things as easily as I normally do. So Lisa coined that uh, vacation Clayton. And then the first day that we were back, she looked at me at one point and she said, "Vacation Clayton is gone, isn't he?" Well, it was good while it lasted. We've been in this series on, the, on wisdom, going through the book of Proverbs, and wisdom is the theme or the main subject of the book of Proverbs, and we've talked about how wisdom in the Bible is living well, that that's what wisdom means. It means to live well. And there's this motto in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we've said that for us, translating that into to our language today, that's something like Jesus is real. And because Jesus is real, there are ways that we are called to live. What I want to do today, this is the sixth message from the book of Proverbs, and it's the last one specifically coming from that book. And it's a really important one. It's on a theme that runs straight through the wisdom literature in the Bible. Today, I want to talk about anger. Now, it will surprise some of you and and not others of you to know that I have a temper. I work very hard to keep my temper under control, but anger is definitely something that I struggle with. And I think that that's common. As we're here this morning, I imagine if we asked for a show of hands and I asked who here struggles with anger, Many, many hands would go up, and those that don't go up likely do not know themselves as well as they think they do. I'd go so far as to say that all of us struggle with inappropriate amounts of anger at times. And that if we're honest with ourselves, we're aware that there is something in the anger that isn't the way we are supposed to be. Now, we all struggle, struggle with being angry because of different things. We all have different triggers. For me, anger is usually aimed at things rather than at people. I consider that a blessing, but there's something about being able to communicate and reason with a person that just makes it easier to not get angry for me. But when my printer will not work, I swear. And so the, the, the loss of vacation, no, 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 that's not what I mean. That that came out wrong. I don't swear at my printer. That's wonderful. All right, so anyways, feeling anger all of a sudden. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, For me, I mentioned the loss of vacation Clayton, right? And so the, the first day we were back from vacation, I'm not cursing at my my computer or my printer, I swear. Anyways. Um, the first day we were back from vacation, I got up in the morning to move my, my car out of the garage. I was going to mow my lawn, and I could not for the life of me find my keys. We'd taken Lisa's car on vacation, could not find my keys anywhere, and I just, I just felt the, 
the frustrations start to build. I, I go out to my car and I, I find them after about 20 minutes. I, I go out to my car and it will not turn on. The battery has completely died while we were away. So I look for the jumper cables. I get them. I try to plug them in and they're not long enough. And so I go hunting for our spare pair of jumper cables. It takes me a while to come up with them, figure out I can latch them together. I plug them in. I let it charge and the car still won't start. Apparently it needed to charge for 10 or even 15 minutes before it would. And I just feel the the pressure building. You know what I'm talking about. And so then I, I pull the car out. I can get to the garage or I can get to the lawnmower in the garage and I'm out of time. We have an appointment that we have to get ready and go to. The one thing I wanted to do, I couldn't do and the temperature rose. The anger was present. It's not usually at people. For me, it's at things and apparently swearing at my printer. But it was that when I came inside and I just vented and was frustrated that Lisa looked at me and she said, vacation Clayton is gone. Things are usually what make me angry. What makes you angry? Because anger can come from this sense of helplessness that I feel with things that I can't communicate with, I can't reason with. But there are other triggers that people often experience. Oftentimes it comes from when we see people as the, and the enemy, and we, we tend to assume that their motives, their intentions are to do us harm. You can see this very easily with children, two children playing together in the nursery. One bumps into the other one, the other one falls and is mad, and when you say, why are you angry? They say, because he did it on purpose, right? And we know clear, clear as day that it wasn't on purpose. And you might think that that is only a child like behavior, but if you've ever been driving and a person cuts you off and the emotion that occurs to you is anger and frustration, if someone were to ask you right then, why are you mad? Because they did it on purpose would likely be the response that would come. Anger also can come from pride when we feel like we aren't heard or we aren't listened to or we aren't respected or we're being attacked. It's easy for us to get angry. There are so many triggers. Now there is a good place for anger. It can draw our attention to the fact that something is wrong. It can motivate us to write something that is wrong or to seek justice for someone else. But there's a difference between having anger and anger having you. And it's those times when anger has us, when we're caught up in it, that I'm calling the snare or the trap or the temptation of anger. And when we fall into that trap, when anger has hold of us, it never ends well. That leads us to our sermon summary this morning. It's this. Within our flesh is a pull towards anger. But followers of Jesus are called to be peacemakers. Within our flesh is a pull toward anger. But followers of Jesus are called to be peacemakers. The New Testament is clear that anger is spiritually dangerous. You probably know some of these passages. I'm just going to read a few of them. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this. In your anger do not sin. In other words, just having anger 
isn't considered sinful by the Apostle Paul. But then he says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Because if you let anger fester, if you let it build, if you let it remain, it takes over. You no longer have anger. Anger has you. And then there's James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Oh, that we could all be this way. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Because if you have anger often enough for long enough, if you let anger have you, the result is never righteousness. Anger is a trap. And when you're caught up in it, it will prevent you from thinking clearly. It'll make you certain that you're right. You're certain that you're right. And because of that, because you can't see yourself clearly, because you're so sure that you're right, it'll make you see enemies where you shouldn't. And then you'll say words that you regret. Have any of you ever said something in anger that you just wish you could take back, but once the words are out, you can't take them back? And the reason for this is because when anger has you, it causes you to focus on yourself. Even if you, you believe yourself to be angry on behalf of someone else, when the anger carries you away, your focus is on you. You're the one who knows what's right and what's wrong, and you're the one who's going to do something about it. Anger is a trap. And we all know how this feels. All of us have been angry. If you're here today, and anger is not really a struggle for you, first you should check with the people who are closest to you to confirm the anger isn't really a struggle for you. Oftentimes, we may think we do pretty well, but those who live closest to us and with us may look at us and shake their heads and say, how in the world do you not realize you have a temper? We all know how it feels. Something happens, and you feel threatened or without control, or your pride has been, has been attacked, and your temperature rises. The book of Proverbs says a lot about anger. It's one of the most common themes in the book. I want to read a few of them. Proverbs 14 and 17 says, 14, 17 says it this way. A quick-tempered person does foolish things, and the one who devises evil schemes is hated. A quick-tempered person does foolish things. You see, if anger has you, and if it, it has you again and again, if it's easy for you to get carried away, that temper is going to lead you to say and do things which harm, which damage the relationships that you are in. Proverbs 29, 22 says it this way, An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. That idea of being an angry person, of having a quick temper, you bring tension to the places, to the people that you're closest to. Even if you're not aware of it, they are aware that that anger just rides right beneath the surface or that it's just so very easy to provoke it. 
that idea of stirring up conflict means that there's always the, the threat or the worry that someone is going to lose their temper if a person is quick-tempered, if a person is angry. And then Proverbs 17.1, better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. It is better, it is better to have an absence of a person in a home, in a relationship, in a workplace, whatever the case may be. It is better to not have anyone who's in the grip or throes of anger. And most of us, if we have a relationship like that, would give up a great deal just to no longer have our loved one or ourselves be in the grip of anger. And a couple of things about this. If this is you, if I, as I'm talking about this, you're, you're saying, this is me. Anger has me. I can tell you this thing makes me angry, and this thing makes me angry, and it's like I just don't even have control of it anymore. If that's you, you need to know a few things. I think what the book of Proverbs tells you is that when anger has you, you are not fit to address the cause of your anger. Now, there are probably certainly exceptions to that, but if there's something that just triggers your rage, when your rage is triggered is not the time to deal with that. If it's a person who makes you angry, when you're so angry you can't do anything but shout or shake or throw something, that's not the time to talk about it. You have to find a way to address it at some other point. And the reason for that is because we are called to peace. Within our flesh is a pull toward anger, but followers of Jesus are called to be peacemakers. Now, a lot of the times when we think about the opposite of anger, we think about calmness. But that's not the opposite of anger. Calm is the absence of anger. The opposite of anger is peace. Peace is the idea that things are the way they are supposed to be within a relationship the relationship is the way it is supposed to be. That's when there is peace. That, the biblical idea, the, the Hebrew word is shalom, and it's an important one throughout the entirety of the Bible. But the idea of shalom is that things are restored and redeemed and the way that they were always meant to become. And so when two people have peace between one another, that doesn't mean that they're not in a fist fight. What that means is that the relationship is the way that it is supposed to be. Peace is the opposite of anger, and we are called to be peacemakers. We're called to be peacemakers. There's a couple of scriptures that I, I want to talk you through here, too. Proverbs has a lot to say about this as well. Proverbs 15.1 is perhaps the most famous. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Another one is, is, is well known, Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. In other words, if you want to be a peacemaker, you need to not respond to anger with anger. 
You see, when a person is in the midst, in the throes of anger, it's hard not to match them in volume. Have you ever had someone yell at you and you try to speak at a normal volume in response? It doesn't work very well, does it? Deep within us comes the need to match loud for loud or yell for yell. This is not an experiment I encourage you to try, but I think you could, if you were so inclined, see that just raising your voice causes the people around you to raise theirs. The calling we have, if we want to be peacemakers in the midst of the person who is angry, is not to match them. And so you, follower of Jesus, if you are the person who anger has, you need to find a way, and we're going to talk about that in a bit, to not let it have you any longer. But if you are near the person whom anger has, the calling is for you to stay steady. Your steadiness will help to turn away the other's anger more than your anger will. And we all know that, right? When you're angry and you yell and someone yells back, does it just stop? Or does it get worse? Does it build? Proverbs goes on. It says a few other things. Proverbs 16.32 says this, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. In other words, better a person who has mastered their temper than someone who can master a town. It's more difficult to master your temper than it is to master a city. And I think that that's something that a lot of us can relate to because, again, when anger has us, we feel the absence of control. Proverbs 19.11 says this, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now, as I'm talking about this today, I imagine or I wonder if you have a relationship in mind. That person who is in the throes of anger, or maybe that time in your life when you are in the throes of anger, and it tends to be about this person, or this place, or this situation. Being a person of peace means breaking a pattern, because that's what happens. Patterns gain momentum. If there's been yelling in your home every day for years, it's hard to say, well, just stop. Right, Because the pattern has a power to it, a momentum to it. To be a peacemaker means that we go to the Lord and we ask him by the power of his Holy Spirit to help us to break that pattern. That in the midst of the rage, in the midst of being caught up in the energy of the anger, we ask for his spirit to just help us break the pattern. That might mean if we're the one with the anger that we need to stop and leave. You just get out of the room, get away from the situation that has caused the anger and address it at another time. That might mean if the other person is always the one to yell first and you feel rising within you that need to yell back by the power of the Spirit, you just don't. I want to tell you, I don't think that you are strong enough to deal 
with the problem of anger having you. I don't think that you are strong enough to break a long sitting pattern in your home of yelling or shouting or in your workplace of toxic confrontation, but the Holy Spirit is, and he can use you to break the pattern. We have an example, a powerful and important one. You see, when an offense is done to us, our response is usually to to lash out in return. We look at what our Lord did in response to the offense done to him by human beings. The Son, through the Son, everything was made. The entirety of creation is his. He spoke it into being. He sustains it moment by moment. And sin is an act of rebellion against him. And instead of washing his hands of us, instead of lashing back at the creation that he made and loves, he took on human flesh. He came. He lived. He showed us what it's like to live with God as king. And then he died, making a way for redemption for all of us. The model that he paints for us is one of sacrifice for the purpose of redeeming a relationship, of changing the course of one. And that's something that he calls all of us to follow. Is there ever a positive use of anger? Absolutely. We have it for a reason. It is true that the emotion I do not think we were originally intended to have in the next world, there will be no cause for anger. It's an emotion that's foreign to our initial purpose. But it is there for a reason. It alerts us when something is wrong. But the book of Proverbs has something to say about this too. You see, there's an energizing feature of anger. Anger can give you the ability to stand up or speak up when at other times you may not be able to. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. The last part of the book of Proverbs before the epilogue. These are the last verses before the the ending epilogue of the book. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 say this. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. You see, if anger doesn't have you, but you have it, it can lead you, strengthen you, embolden you, motivate you, help you for good, to be a champion of those who need it. For the Lord to use you to speak up on behalf of those that cannot speak for themselves. But we must not ever allow ourselves to believe that when anger has us, what we say and what we do is for the purpose of anyone but ourselves. Within our flesh is a pull toward anger, but followers of Jesus are called to be peacemakers. Because Jesus is real, we're called to be peacemakers. You see, both peace and anger are transformative of the people and the relationships around us. 
You see, if you are an angry person, if anger has you, you will affect and change the places and relationships that you're in. But if you're a person of peace, the same will happen. Those in the grips of anger may find themselves easier to control in your presence. You may have a gift or find yourself to have a gift to listen when a person is hurt and realize that through the listening, through the saying, my goodness, it sounds like you're frustrated. What's going on? Instead of rising to the anger, being a person who can listen, who can bring peace in the midst of a difficult circumstance, that's transformative too. Every morning in my devotions is a prayer, and many of you have heard it before. Um, it's a powerful one, and it's a helpful one for me when I think about what it means to follow the calling of Jesus and to be a person who transforms through peace. It's a prayer by a man named St. Francis of Assisi. And I'd like to end with this prayer today. Before we do, I want to say, if this sermon has hit you, one, please know I didn't write it because of you. There was no one in mind as I wrote the sermon. But I want to say this. If this sermon has struck you, I want to tell you that today is the day to make the commitment to the Lord, to ask him for his help to change, to be honest, to, to just say it to someone. I struggle with anger. Help me to make a decision to break the pattern through the power of the Holy Spirit to let him use you to transform a toxic pattern into a holy one. If you're caught up in anger, today's the day. Pray with me. Lord, make us an instrument of your everlasting peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. Not so much to be understood as to understand. Not so much to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we awake to eternal life. Amen.